When you're watching a shitty movie like this, you want to reference a better movie. <laughs> Welcome to You're in a Child is an Idiot, the podcast where we look back on the things from your childhood and wonder if they were any good to begin with. My name is Damon. Flawless. I'm DJ. You scared the shit out of me. I don't know why. Keep you on your toes. You didn't know you were podcasting until this very second. I knew the word was coming. I didn't know the force behind it was coming. I'm a passionate speaker. What can I say? I believe in the power of audio. We're talking about Indiana Jones. And the Colin. Last Crusade. Wait, oh, not is colon. it? No. Is it and the Last Crusade? Or it's a whole phrase, so it's a whole subject line. So there's no need for colons, right? Commas. Indiana Jones. No in dashes, the last and dashes, it's or and dashes. Indiana Jones. His last and crusade? the Last Crusade. And okay, I'm just that was really annoying. All the crosstalk. I'm really sorry, everyone that had to listen to that. <laughs> so <laughs> felt like a Robert Altman movie. Hold on, let it land. Ha <laughs> ha. And go. Ha 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 ha. We got our Sean Connery in this one, finally. We've been waiting patiently for nigh on a decade. And since they hinted at him in the first one, in the post credit sequence of the first one. Well, you know how Disney films have hidden Mickeys? There's hidden Conneries all over (laughs) Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you pay attention very closely. This is, I think, I don't know if this was the first one I saw, but this was always my favorite, this one. DJ? No, no reaction. Okay. <laughs> this is also my favorite. Oh, shit. Of them. And also, I mean, similar to you, it's the one that I remember the most, probably because I was a sentient being by the time this one came out in 89. Yeah. So yeah. I was well aware that what Indiana Jones was and uh, how much my mom loved both Sean Connery and Harrison Ford. It was a perfect storm for getting mom to the movies. Like, the only way <laughs> you were getting mom to the movies is if Harrison Ford was in something or Sean Connery was in something. So this was like... The algorithm before the algorithm was an algorithm coming in mm-hmm. and like getting Because <laughs> like we're seeing Medicine Man with Sean Connery in the theater. We're seeing Regarding Henry with Harrison Ford oh, in yeah. the theater. Patriot Games, all your favorites, all the hits. The Fugitive, of course, The Fugitive. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, just kidding. Yeah, so this was a favorite of my family's. We watched it a lot. It is also the more comedic of the three. Like it really leans yes, into the... Yep. The comedy of it, and as I've said many a times, if you can get me to laugh, I will forgive a multitude of sins <laughs> if you can make me laugh. And and this this one, uh, the chemistry between Harrison Ford, notorious pointer, and Sean Connery, notorious wife beater, is really good. Just had to get it in there. I just had to remind everyone that Sean Connery not only has said that women deserve a slap if they cross their husbands, when asked about it in the 80s, like called out on that quote that he had made, he stood by it with Barbara Walters. He's like, yeah, I said it. So not great. He seems great. God rest his soul, though. (laughs) So, you know, humor is a big part of, of this whole trilogy, but this really leans into it and also I think hits my particular taste and humor even as a kid and even now and most of it is you see you see indiana jones who who has always gotten a little bit like of egg on his face while he's being the cocky adventurer but you really see him like kowtow to his dad in a way that it's a new side of the character you've like seen like maybe some sides of it but generally speaking this is the first time you see where he came from and why he might have such bravado and why like he I mean, they, of course, you get 
River Phoenix, too, at the beginning of the movie. All right, yeah. As young Indiana Jones, which led to the whole young Indiana Jones, too, which I never really understood or got into. But I did like it in this movie. Yeah, I never got into young Indiana Jones, although it gave us a baby, uh, Ryan Gosling, as young Indiana Jones. That's right. And I believe there's even a cameo from Harrison Ford on one episode as Indiana Jones reprising his his role. I think you're right in that Indiana Jones works as a character because he is cocky and sort of self-assured and but he there he's not above like fucking up like he doesn't fall yeah. into the John McClane trap where he just becomes a superhuman being like he's constantly getting the shit kicked out of him he's constantly bleeding he, his plans often will fail or not work the way he thought they would and i think that's what makes him such a likable character even though he might have flaws like you know being um, a lothario and being you cad Cocky. Yeah, a cad, a ne'er-do-well, a man about town. I think the reason this works is because they have established that so well in the previous movies that then seeing him, like, what's left to see of this character in the third movie? And they show us, like, well, we're going to show you the dynamic with his father, who is the complete opposite. Like, his father is also a professor, but very much an academic. One of my favorite descriptions of his character is from Harrison Ford, where he says he's the, the teacher that kids hope they don't get. Like that's <laughs> that's how he's described. And he's sort of like, he's not a stick in the mud, but he is definitely a little bit more offended by the violence that <laughs> seems to surround yeah. his son. He slaps his son for using the Lord's name in vain. He definitely is not impressed by his son's like, action uh, bits like i think after the motorcycle chase at one point in this movie he's like winding his watch he's not into it it's very charming and then you you see harrison ford does a great job of snapping into the role as this the son where he says yes sir no sir he's very even though you can tell he's like bristling at having to be with his dad just like any human he sort of falls into that role like subconsciously even while you can tell he doesn't like it. He doesn't like being around his dad or, or, you know, following around on this adventure with his dad. It's very charming. It's great. It definitely adheres much more to Raiders than Temple of Doom. It feels to follow those similar beats. He goes on an adventure, then he goes to his school, and then he's, you know, pulled into this adventure again. I also have watched this movie a million more times than the other three. So yeah. I'm just replaying it in my head at like three times the speed. There's a lot of reference to previous movies, especially Raiders, but... Well, you get Brody and Sala come back for, Sala. for this one. And then also they're underneath the catacombs at one point, and there's a, a, a hieroglyph <laughs> of something or whatever of the Lost Ark. And she's like, is it the Lost Ark? Or it's it's the Lost sure? Ark of the Covenant. Pretty sure. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's like an oblique reference, but also not as ham-handed as it could have been. Although we'll see if maybe I'm glossing over some of that in my head but as you mentioned with the good action set pieces and the the humor it does kind of forgive a lot more sins for me and yeah i'm sure they're still in here we got the nazis coming back so we don't i mean i think there's still probably some problematic uh, depictions of brown peoples in this movie but you know we're back to beating up white supremacists which helps that all go down a lot better in that they are not the villains necessarily it's just you know we got to get these Nazis. If you could just pardon me, I need to get to that Nazi to kill him. Excuse me. quick. <laughs> yeah. I do remember there was a Diet Coke commercial where, because we rented this a lot from Blockbuster, and so there was a Diet Coke commercial on the tape. 
Like even, you know, 10 years, 15 years after the fact, there was a Diet Coke commercial where these two people were watching Last Crusade and someone, hey, honey, why don't you go get me a Diet Coke from the fridge? And this woman has to like, she jumps over all these snakes to get to the fridge. And then when she opens the fridge, there's what is coded as a Diet Pepsi. And then there's a Diet Coke. And then while she's there, the knight is saying, you have chosen wisely. And she picks the Diet Coke and, you know. That's pretty good. And then I think the husband says something ridiculous like, that Indiana, how does he do it? And the wife goes, whew, whew. That's stupid. I don't know why I recounted that, but it's lived in my head. I can't remember my (laughs) boyfriend's birthday, but that I can remember. I also quote that exact line all the time. You have chosen poorly. It's a fun movie to quote. Well, let's see if it holds up. We're going to watch Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. You're doing great. Preparing to say that, I wanted to say in the Last Crusade. Also, oh, don't you say think crusade. it's like it's a Sex in the City, Sex and the City type deal for you? Yeah, yeah, I get him <laughs> confused, and I just realized even saying the Last Crusade is a little bit problematic in and of itself. But it's maybe not necessarily. I mean, there is a character those. that you meet that was in the Crusade, so I mean, it kind of yeah. You know what, Damon? Stop carrying water for it. It is a problematic choice. Yeah, it's a problem. Title. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to watch it. Watch along with us. We'll be right back. Okay. Um, Holy Grail. Something with the Holy Grail. Uh, Everlasting Life. uh, Uh Uh-huh. You know, uh, French Nights. Uh Uh-huh. You know, there was that Diet Coke commercial. These are just levels of support on Patreon that you're naming. Diet so Coke can, uh-huh. French Knight, Nazi you fucked. Uh, <laughs> Nazi you and your father fucked. Tapestries. If any of those things interest you, become a supporter of the show. <laughs> Patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. And uh, if not, that's fine. Just keep on listening. That's the that's the soft sell. I just give everybody the soft sell. Yeah, you want to use reverse psychology. They're like, well, if he doesn't need our support, I guess I have to donate. He seems pretty casual about it. A man so casual, that's a podcast I've got to support. Just over here smoking a cigarette. That's how relaxed I am, whether you donate or not. I don't care. Take it or leave it. That's the that's our podcast. Do it. I got scared a little. Even though I'm not why would I donate? And we are back. We watched Indiana Jones in The Last oh, Crusade. Under The Last Crusade. Under the Tuscan Sun. Is it and, as usual? Indiana yeah, Jones and The Yeah, it's never been okay. in. Well, it's he's a character that is in this movie. So, mm, okay, no, I see, yeah. Mm-hmm. It makes more sense to me to say in than and cuz it's like we're just looking at two things. We're looking at Indiana Jones and we're looking at The Last Crusade. To me, Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade is those two things together galloping along into the sunset. Anytime you see a movie title and there's a, a character's name in there, you are confused as to their relationship of the film unless the preposition in is in the title. So Scott Pilgrim in versus the world. That's what you would prefer. No, see, that's its own sentence. But like, you wouldn't say Austin Powers in the man who shagged me. I'm trying to think of a a character that's not also the title of the movie, although that kind of doesn't apply here. But like, it's not. That's what we're talking about. It's not Luke Skywalker (laughs) and Star Wars. 
it's no, Luke it's Skywalker never been that. In Star it's Wars. never been that. Yeah, it doesn't work because there are no other names movies that I can think of. You think that Indiana Jones, it's like a best-selling author or something, or like a, an actor who's gotten so big that he's like part of his contract is like, I want my name above the title. You yeah. think that's what this is. You think that Indiana Jones is <laughs> an actor with a great agent. That's what you think this <laughs> that's is. That's what it feels like. And Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade just sounds like they're like their buddies. It's a buddy cop. And like, you know... Indiana Jones is like the slovenly one, yeah. and The Last Crusade is the fastidious, mm-hmm. kind of racist one. Mm-hmm. I mean, but man, do they solve the case together? Originally, it was going to be Indiana Jones and Tony Randall, but they were like, you know what? Last Crusade is free. Let's bring him in. Let's just do a test. Let's just see how, how they get along with this fictional character, Indiana Jones, and this real actor, Tony Randall. Not Harrison Ford. No, <laughs> in this universe. He doesn't exist because Indiana Jones already exists. And if Harrison Ford existed, they'd be like, hey, that guy looks a lot like famed archaeologist and occasional actor, Indiana Jones. (laughs) Okay, recap this movie for the fine folks. No, come on. I did Temple of Doom, the racist one. Okay. All right. Indiana Jones. We flash back to Indiana Jones as a youth. He sees a guy who's like, hey, I got to cop his style. And through this adventure, he loses the artifact to this guy, but the guy has a cool hat and a whip. And so he learns that from him. We also the guy doesn't that, have a whip. Oh, that's a cool hat and a cool jacket. And he also learns, maybe my dad is withholding. <laughs> we'll probably explore that in this movie. Maybe he's got a cool demeanor to raising me. He also gets his famed chin scar because we definitely need an explanation for that. He hey, also what's gets, all that? We, as viewers said in the last two movies. And we didn't just go... I guess he does kind of have a scar on his chin. I guess we all have scars in a way, so I wouldn't need any wow. more explanation. He also gets his whip, his fear of snakes, his fedora, his jacket, and his insecurity issues from his father all in this... <laughs> in a five-hour span. <laughs> in this prologue. And then we f- fast forward to later in the, I don't know, what is it? What year is it? 1937? 1935? Nazi times. 1939, I think. And Indiana Jones gets roped in to go after the Holy Grail, which is, in this case, literally the Holy Grail. It's not Amelie this time. It's not, <laughs> it's not Mary Magdalene's great, 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 great oh, yeah. niece. We're going to make a lot of Da Vinci Code jokes today, <laughs> folks, so strap in. When you're watching a shitty movie like this, you want to reference a better movie. We're, we, we were all watching this and daydreaming that we were watching Robert Langdon on one of his iconographic adventures. I always say watching Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade is <laughs> the opportunity to kneel before the bones of Mary Magdalene. That's really what we do here. Okay, so Indiana Jones rescues his father from the Nazis who he's like dedicated his life. And so Indian Jones goes with him. He's dedicated his life to the grail, not to the Nazis. To the grail, to the grail, yes. And the Nazis have captured him. He rescues him, but then eventually they lead them to the grail and and Daddy Jones gets shot. Mm -hmm. And in order to save him in young Indiana, Junior has to Mm -hmm. go through the three trials and he does so with the help of uh, his father's uh, journal. And he's in the chamber of the Holy Grail, guarded by the last living Knight Templar. And he chooses the correct chalice, drinks from it, has uh, eternal life, but only in the building, which you think they would have mentioned that somewhere in the writings. Oh, uh, you got to read the fine print. It's like a timeshare, you know, presentation. You, it, It's a trick. Yeah. Don't, but, just but get luckily, the cab. Don't go. 
<laughs> Don't get stopped by those guys in the airport. It just you know keep going. your insurance actually covers the car you're in usually most most liability insurance, <laughs> so you're fine. So he luckily also on not mentioned but helpful. The water from the Grail will actually remove the wound from his father and heal him completely. Mm-hmm. But in doing so, Elsa gets a hold of it. This is our Nazi girlfriend that I forgot to rem- <laughs> forgot to mention mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. recap. She is just kind of taken in by the power of the One Ring, I mean the Holy Grail, and she goes across the seal, which the knight did mention. This was in the writing. Not in the writings, but in the, the introductory video. And <laughs> the whole place begins to fall. Uh-oh, the Grail falls, but our heroes escape, and they literally ride off into the sunset. DJ, that may have been... Nazis bad. Grail good. One of the worst recaps we've ever had on this show. It's like you put it into a translator and then like into Japanese and then back into English and then read it. What was wrong with that? What did I not get? You know what? Now that I think about it, it was flawless. What if this two hour, 15 minute movie did I miss in that single wandering 30 second? Elsa, who I did not mention, who's also one of our main (laughs) antagonists. I did forget about Elsa. Sorry about that. I just think it's interesting <laughs> that you forgot the one woman in the main cast. I just thought that was interesting that you forgot to even now, mention Now, is her. that on me or is that because she's still not super well drawn? <laughs> <laughs> she's a Nazi. She sucks on lips. I feel like I've got a good idea of what she, what she's like. I also barely mentioned Henry Ford or Henry Ford. Henry Ford <laughs> Henry and his Jones. anti-Semitism. Henry, Henry Jones Sr., who... Let's be honest, probably has some isms <laughs> in his character. I barely mentioned him. And he is the best character like. in this in this movie. <laughs> well, fantastic. Uh, I like the recap of the recap. <laughs> Let's just dive on in, shall we? Look, I'm bad at recaps. I wasn't ready to do it. I thought you were going to do it. I know. I know. That was one of my I great always tricks. forget the beginning of this movie starts with Young and Indiana Jones. Like if we were talking about it, I'd be like, oh, yeah. But when I go to watch it, because so many times that I've seen this movie, it's like on TV or something. And I'm like, well, I'm going to watch this now. It's very rarely do you like start at the beginning of the movie. It's like kind of in progress. And I'm always like, all right, we do this whole young Indiana thing. And I don't love that. Oh, really? I love it. I was going to say, I don't love that in general when movies do that. My apologies. Continue your thought. But for some reason, and, and Lauren put the nail on the head. She said, I, ha- I should hate this, but I don't. <laughs> and for some reason, so I think it's probably because it's, it's just well done. River Phoenix is great. And it's Spielberg. So, you know, there's some like, it's well directed. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, Spielberg did this, right? Did I just? I yeah, just, it's like, still Spielberg. Out. Okay. Spielberg does the first four and we're going to lose him in the fifth one. There's only three of these. There are no more after this. And I'm really glad because I think that's it would what, be weird. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, like we said in the horrible recap, he gets all of his character all of his quirks iconic are explained in one adventure, which is like really unnecessary. <laughs> and but it's also like just kind of fun. It's just kind of silly. And you're not like for some reason this doesn't bother me, but like solo does, where they're oh. like Well Oh, I you're mean, traveling in- alone. <laughs> In this movie's, I know, oh my God. Uh, finally, I get an explanation of his name. Oh, that's how he got his blaster, an, a weapon that almost everyone else also has in Star Wars. Finally, the explanations are flooding in. That's where you got your space Henley that you wear on your adventures. <laughs> oh, that's where, oh, so 
also, he just bought the vest at a, at a vest shop. Just show him going like, that's a pretty good price. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now we know. Do you have any more in the bag? You do. Great. Great. It was a sale at the Space Gap. I mean, in this movie's defense, the part that you're referring to is, what, two hours shorter than Solo was? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's a good point. And didn't solely exist to explain the parsecs thing, and then that's it. I feel like the whole reason Solo existed, and I feel like, you know what, I'm going to go on a little, one of my patented rants. Oh, I feel here like we the go. whole reason here that we, most of these in. fucking movies that are shows that Star Wars is creating, at least with original or with old school characters, is to just explain some like facet that fans have been like poking holes in for 30 years. And it's like, look, we like go. doing that. It doesn't really matter. No one's actually going to the parsecs thing and going, I knew it all along. Star Wars fucking sucks. Yeah. Because of that parsecs line. <laughs> like, just leave it alone. Who cares? <laughs> it is very, like, inferiority complex. Like, just... No, there's a whole reason. Because the parsecs like a marathon, and the fact that he finished it in a shorter amount of distance, it actually does mean something when you, when you think about it. When so, you think about it. Disney Plus, uh, it's only $7.99. <laughs> Like, fuck off. Anyway, this is a great prologue. The purpose of this, the stuff that we mentioned that's like kind of fun, like the getting his fear of snakes and stuff like that, th that is not actually the point, I think. The character point is his relationship with his dad. That's what we're really setting up. And even though we don't spend a lot of time with that, it does show that like, you know, he like got his kind of swashbuckling adventurer thing from this guy, Fedora or whatever. The well, guy's he name seemed is. pretty, he was buckling a lot of swash even before he got that fedora from that guy. From Patrick Duffy lookalike? He was already a swaggerful young man. <laughs> <laughs> and already so mad. Already had that Indi Harrison yeah. Ford, uh, like, Ugh. scowl. I think it's fun. It's absolutely ridiculous. But, I mean, it's a fun little action beat. There's horse riding. There's jumping onto a circus train. There's all these, which leads to a bunch of little action sequences of, you know, snakes and lions and rhinoceros erections. It's fun. Porn. And I mean, it doesn't wear out its welcome. It's fun to see an origin to this character that we've already known for two movies. And yeah, and it ends with, you know, tying into the rest of it is like Sean Connery's secluded professorial father, you know, working on his grail diary. Mush, mush, mush. Making him count Buckle up, Latin. listeners. We're going to be doing a lot of Sean Connery impressions <laughs> in this. This is going to be The Rock 2.0 all over again. <laughs> But it's great. And then I did like, I mean, less charming is the sort of follow-up to the prologue. Is that a pre-prologue, post-prologue? Where adult Indiana Jones, still going off the cross of Coronado that he saw in the prologue, meets up with the, you know, uh, Panama the Jack yeah. character. And I do want to say one thing that I do like about this second prologue, where they're on this ship in the midst of this storm. The guy has literal henchmen. We've talked about henchmen. I love henchmen. They're sort of a lost art. We, in, in the Need darker, grimmer superhero movies, you lose the henchmen. And I like that this guy literally has like henchmen straight out of a Tintin comic. They're like sailors. They've got blue and they like, like Jean-Paul Gaultier, like blue and white striped shirts, little, you know, Greek sailor caps. And they're all like big and brawny. They look like they're like bursting out of these clothes. It's deranged. Like they're all wearing the same uniform. Why would they all wear the same uniform? It raises a lot of questions, henchmen. Like, do you all shop? Do you get it in bulk? You have it shipped in? Is Greg still a medium? He 
I don't want to say anything, but he's getting a little late this summer. <laughs> he's been bulking Does up. Does he need a new, you know, Joker-style blazer? Because all the Joker's henchmen all wear our, you know, purple and green blazers. They're also so inept that Indiana Jones can punch two of them at once. <laughs> <laughs> it was so silly. Ridiculous. Luckily, that scene, I think, only lasts like three or four minutes. And then the ship explodes, despite being absolutely soaking wet. I did write... Would the Multivo Explosivo, which is one of the boxes marked on the deck of the ship, would it still explode if it's been like not only rained upon, but like full waves crashing down on these boxes? Either way, it's fun when things explode. And Panama Hat's hat goes by with a hole in it so you knew he died. There's no way he could possibly not have been attached to his hat when that happened. He's either dead or he dropped his hat. Those are the (laughs) two. Either way, bad day for him. I mean, it's a spectrum, right? I don't know what's worse. <laughs> Can I ask a question before we get too far away from the pro-prologue? The original prologue. Oh, the, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Prologue one. Do you think that Dr. Henry Jones Sr. and therefore his family are Mormons? Because they're in Utah in 1919 or whenever this is, 1912. Yeah. I thought it was very weird. And I think I've never even thought about it until now, but I'm, you know... It's established, you know, a few minutes later in the movie that Professor Henry Jones Sr. is a professor, as dictated by his title. (laughs) Professor Doctor. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm trying to think of like, in 1912, where would this medieval literature, are there schools in Utah? I'm treating it like it's fucking Old West. Like, it's 1912. It's not 1712. Surely there's a school there. But I mean, the Mormons, you know. When did the Mormons land in Utah, though? land in utah it's like the late 1800s right i know i watched under the banner of heaven and i learned absolutely nothing they got there in 1847 okay so foothold well maybe indiana jones 5 will be about finding those golden plates that joseph smith read and you know no it'll be a fun adventure you can't see them no 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 no. yes rules are rules (laughs) yes they belong in a museum but they will not (laughs) go there I lost them, sorry. By the way, you can't see them even when I'm dead because I lost them. Everybody's lost but me. What do you think of that line? <laughs> River Phoenix does. I do like that line. I think this is what helps. I don't know if it's on purpose, but I think it's what helps Indiana Jones remain a character that I still really like, even though he could be like viewed through the same lens that like James Bond is viewed through, where it's like, this guy's a sexist pig, but I think the movie also sort of holds him at a distance a little bit. I think we talked about in Raiders of the Lost Ark, the movie's not ashamed to watch him fail. Yeah. And I think the movie is aware that he's a little bit cocksure. I think most of all in this movie, of the of the original trilogy, like this movie is celebrating and making fun of Indiana Jones at the same time. <laughs> yes. He's very much, like many white men, failing upward constantly in this <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very funny line and River Phoenix does it well. Handpicked by Harrison Ford because River Phoenix apparently looked like... Harrison Ford when he was a kid. Two handsome men. They finally made it. Handpicked by Harrison Ford. This child has been handpicked by Harrison Ford. That seems weird now that you're pointing it out. Let's not examine that any further. By the way, just the post-prologue, I liked that... Sections that exist in movies. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I liked that we have the... the, It transitions from one prologue to the second by the Patrick Duffy lookalike putting the hat on 
River Phoenix. And then the Indiana Jones music swells like bum, 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 very much like Superman or something. And it's interrupted by Indiana Jones getting punched in the face by one of these Tintin henchmen. So another way this movie's like one, a comedy, I feel like set up fairly early up that this is going to be a little bit more a wackadoo. And also undercutting Indiana Jones' own prowess in his in his own post-prologue. Epi-prologue. I feel like this is a real, they do a really good job of that balance. I just want to point that out again, because he is still cool. Like, he's being, <laughs> he's like slipping and getting punched and doing like, but he's also like, you're still like, I mean, there's no doubt that he's the adventurous hero of this movie. You're not also like this fucking doofus over here. You're like, that's really funny. And also, I want one of those hats, please. Right. It balances between <laughs> like James Bond or like John McClane in the later Die Hard movies of just like being a Superman, but avoids like feeling like he's falling ass backwards into things, you know, like a goofy bad spy movie or something. I couldn't think or of like a good goofy, example. For example, goofy. Like goofy. <laughs> you know, being a divorced dad, you know, trying to raise his kid, going to see Electro Man or whatever the fuck. You know the name of this character better than I from Goof Troop. I'm just thinking of the power line. <laughs> Is that the name of the singer? Cut all this garbage. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to talk too much about Goofy. <laughs> No, but I like that he is, I mean, it does a good job of balancing those two things. Yeah. We bump forward to like him in the classroom again, kind of a callback to the first movie. And he's giving a speech to his class about how like, yeah, if you want to talk about philosophy, so-and-so's class is down the hall and X never, ever marks the spot. And he also says, which is obviously going to very next scene, X marks the spot when they find the, the entrance to the knight's tomb. But he gives this whole speech about how archaeology is mostly in the library. And I wonder <laughs> if that was like a response. Like, obviously, it's a play on the fact that he does nothing like what real archaeology is. But I wonder if that was any sort of like, I don't get a lot of defensiveness from it. But if it was like a, a nod to probably any criticism that the original movie or two have received from like, what kind of what is this? I feel like any time I've in college, like if an archaeologist actually came to school and would talk to us, like the first thing they would have to disclose is like, now it's nothing like you've seen in your Indiana Jones movies. I'm like, we know. Yeah. <laughs> we know that also crime fighting isn't like Batman. Just get on with the bones you brought or whatever. Every time a police officer comes in. Now, we don't actually solve crimes. We find someone who... <laughs> probably did the crime <laughs> and we pin it on him we decide what the narrative's gonna be and then we get him you know i'm not a big like oh boy can't say anything these days cancel culture blah 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 but also like this movie was like before like the discourse was what it is about movies like so i imagine the the complaints from archaeologists were probably kind of like like fun complaints you know what i mean where right. it was like like that's not really how it is and everyone like you said in steven spielberg's like yeah yeah we know we know you don't fight nazis you'd probably be terrible in a fight with nazis and we know most of your work is done in the library yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no i mean i think it is a fun little moment because he undercuts himself as you said later in the scene and i have nothing original to say there yeah uh <laughs> grandmaster Picel. I have that in my notes right yeah. here. Grandmaster Picel. Julian Glover gets to be a villain in 
almost every big franchise there is. He was a villain in Empire Strikes Back. He's a villain in this. He was a, a semi, a demi-villain in Game of Thrones. Grandmaster, Meister Pyrex. You're right. <laughs> Grandmaster Pyrex. It's a glass that you can heat. That's what I like about it. Nigh indestructible. He's also, I think, in one of the Roger Moore James Bond movies. So, oh. By the way, it took me forever. I think like by season three of Game of Thrones before I realized that this was Julian Glover in Game of Thrones as Grand Maester Pycelle. It was the reverse for me. Having seen this after Game of Thrones, I was like, <gasps> like I've seen this movie hundreds of times probably. I love this movie. And then seeing Game of Thrones and did not make the connection at all. Of course, he's, you know, got the beard and stuff, but... He's got the beard and he's more older, of course, but he also, like, plays Pycelle as, like, very old. Even though I think later it's revealed he's pretty spry. He just is playing... He's playing a guy playing old. He's playing an old guy playing older. He's an actor's actor. (laughs) (laughs) He plays Donovan, Walter Donovan. Charles Lindbergh type in that he is a Nazi sympathizer, not in that he crossed the Atlantic. He might have. That's true. We don't have any evidence that he didn't cross the Atlantic. He finds like, a, I guess he's, he's been running an expedition in Venice. By the way, we at the audience and Indy do not know he's a Nazi sympathizer yet, but hold on to your seats. He finds a, some sort of template, tablet, and he's the one who delivers the, the line, oh, your father's the one who's gone missing. <sighs> I don't. I feel like I'm recapping again. Why am I losing the thread on this episode? Because I did such a poor recap. You kind of have to. (laughs) This is about the time when when he's kind of going through the Grail stuff with Indiana. That Lawrence said, "My only problems with this movie are the biblical parts, (laughs) as far as what to believe. Like what is too hard to believe." Well, luckily, like all Grail stuff, I remember as a kid being so disappointed that the Holy Grail isn't. A biblical thing? It's just like, hey, there's a cup in this scene. What if the cup was something special? This is my impression of medieval English peasants. What if that's something we could find over there? It's ridiculous. We know we need to name this after somebody. Arthurian? No. (laughs) Jonathan? No. I was just trying to come up with other names. Jonathan. Jonathan. Oh, I thought you said Jonathan like Jennifer. Like an F. Jennifer Ian. In this scene, though, with Walter Donovan, we do get a description of Sean Connery's character before we meet him, which I really appreciate. Indiana Jones says, he's a teacher of medieval literature, the one the students hope they don't get, which I appreciate. As a person who did actively root against getting certain teachers for classes. Oh, yeah. It gives you like an instantaneous like vibe of what Henry Jones Sr. will be like. And then we go to Venice. Ah, Venice. That was a good bit. I knew that he said that, but I thought he only said it once. I didn't realize that was a bit because he, they get there and he says, ah, Venice, which I remember quoting when I went to Venice, but then he says it when he come, they come out of the, the tomb out of the sewers and he says, <laughs> ah, Venice. And then later on when he m- makes out with Elsa, he says it again. It's a good little bit. As the gondolier goes by singing some sort of you yeah. know, Italian opera. This is fun. I mean, I'm trying to think. This is our first foray into Europe in Indiana Jones. Is that right? Yes. We get to go to Venice. They have a little sexist moment where they're like, how are we going to recognize this Dr. Schneider when we see him? And then she's like, ha ha, I am a woman. And then (laughs) And their monocles all fell out of their eye sockets. 
and their hats spun on top of their heads. I told you it was a wackier movie than the, the previous two. <laughs> they really went for it, which I appreciate. And then Harrison Ford goes like full tilt flirtation with Elsa Snyder, who is a very comely lass, as I like mm-hmm. to say. And I'm Marcus Brody, impersonating almost my entire teens and 20s, interrupts the flirtation to go, I hate to interrupt, but the reason why we're here... <laughs> They, they went super comedic with Brody in this movie, and I like it. I like this characterization. It's an interesting way because you have this character that was in Raiders of the Lost Ark very briefly, but not really fleshed out. He sort of is an exposition machine in the first movie. And then he comes along here and slowly gets funnier and funnier. I mean, he's not particularly funny until a particular scene that I would like to wait until we discuss it. And there's a great transition to Marcus Brody being zany, but... He definitely feels, at first, it's like, well, why is Marcus Brody here? He gets sort of knocked unconscious at one point when they're in the catacombs. But he's a good way for, I guess, Indy to sort of play off of someone while keeping the Grail Diary a secret from Dr. Schneider. Wise move. In general, if it's 1939 and someone's name is Elsa Schneider, I'm not saying assume she's a Nazi. Just be chill, I guess. Don't give her all the information just yet. When they're in the library, they find through the map and then the markings on the stained glass, they find the X that leads them to the catacombs. And then Indiana is like slamming the stanchion on the ground. And it's my one of my favorite bits of the movie was the library is also like very firmly stamping books. And it happens to coincide with his hits and the librarian... I guess thinks that's his thinks that this very loud sound coming from clearly <laughs> farther away is his his stamps and it's a good physical comedy bit. It's a I good bit it. and I mean I think they do a good job. The first three I think your the shot is on him when he's stamping and then you hear yeah. the clanging in the distance and he looks at his stamp. But then we see Indiana Jones like hit it twice and then it cuts back to him just still staring at his thing, like as he is just stamped. It's very vaudevillian. I might be saying that just because the librarian who's doing the stamping has a very Groucho Marx style feel. But it is a good bit. It's very like silent movie, but I do get the giggles when it happens. Yeah, it's pretty short. They don't spend too much time with it. And then my favorite thing is at the end, he just like puts it (laughs) up on a book and then just sort of looks at it. Like... It's good. I mean, it's funny. Look, it's Damon, it's funny. funny. Why are you mad at me Look, about it? It's funny. I mean, I even like, I would notice watching it, John Williams' score is very like, yeah. it's very staccato. It's like, we're like first act Indiana Jones. It's like, like bouncy. Yeah. You know, it's like you're, you're jumping on logs in a river. I don't know why I would say that. I feel like, I, especially having watched, you know, we watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is Alan Silvestri in that one, but it has a lot of that same vibe, that cartoony vibe that keeps the action sort of bouncy and upbeat without ever feeling like, I don't ever feel like the stakes, I don't feel like the action is zany. I feel like the action sequences are pretty good in this. Great, even, one might say. But... I feel like the music sort of keeps a balance of matching the tone of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's not, you know, your dark and gritty adventure, but you do feel like it's creepy because you got the rats that go in the catacombs and there's all these rats and then they get, what are the guys that are protecting the grail? The Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword. Ah, I'm just going to call them the Knights Templar. (laughs) They set the oil on fire and so the, the you know it's you're never like 
Indiana Jones. How is he going to get out of this one? Like, obviously he's going to get out of it, but it's still like, you know, it's adventure. You are still like, there's a sense of stakes. And then I think the music does a good job of sort of balancing that. They're not having zero comedic beats during the adventure, but it's more of your like asides while they're letting the action kind of take the reins during those parts. And so there's still comedy, but there's still, that's like the big part of it. Whereas in the exposition parts, they're, they're really leaning more into the comedy there, I think. Even the action, I mean, there are sequences like later when we meet up with Sean Connery's character where there is comedy in those action sequences as well. You know, the, the biplane and, yeah. you know, the seagulls and... That whole scene, oh man, we'll get to that. I feel like we're not... I do want to point out one thing in this library before we get too far away. I don't know if you caught this. I caught it when I was a teen and now I can't... I cannot re-immerse myself in this one shot. When he says, of course... When he sees the Roman numeral 10 on the floor and he says, X marks the spot. <laughs> I get it because I was here for earlier in the movie. But he's standing on like a balcony or a loft in that library and there are books behind him. Did you catch this? That it's a f- fake bookcase? Oh, no. And it's lit bad so that you can see that there's the books are just like sort of like little rectangles that they've pasted on a black board. And I'm like... Guys, if you needed a bookcase, I can loan you a bookcase. Is it that hard to... I mean, you built a miniature tank that you drove off a cliff. You did all these things and you couldn't get like a bookcase and some books for to this put on one a balcony shot. <laughs> for this one like five second shot. It's did, so distractingly notice. bad. And I'm, I wonder, it can't be just an HD problem because I remember noticing it as a teen. I think they were just like banking on the fact that no one was going to notice this thing. But little did they know, I had very few friends in high school. (laughs) And all I had to do was watch a movie six or seven times. So look out! I didn't notice that. But that's one of those things where you see it once and then you remember it. Like in Batman Returns when... Danny DeVito as the penguin like bumps a tombstone and it moves and it's clearly like made of styrofoam. Uh-huh. I can't not see it. I see it right all the time. Don't say Nazi. Or do. It's the one of the few times you can while we're talking about this. They end up trying to get Dr. Jones Sr. They end up in a castle along the Australi- Austrian-Germany border. and The Australian-German border, yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't not hey, say countries, Australia. <laughs> get different names. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for realizing that this is Austria and Australia's fault and not mine for just not Absolutely. saying them Absolutely. I'm here to different. support you. <laughs> but we get a very good bit where Indiana pretends to be a Scottish tapestry curator or something. They switch hats. Yeah. Him and Elsa switch hats. And my favorite thing about that scene is Elsa, actually. So Indiana slash Harrison Ford's fake Scottish accent is very funny. And it's meant to sort of be over the top because even the... He's playing Lord Clarence MacDonald. Yes. The name of the Scottish Lord that he is. And even the butler doesn't buy it. It's so so over the top, but it gets It's absolutely pointless. It accomplishes nothing except literally getting in the front door, which they probably could have done in their normal clothes. They probably just could have just opened the door and pushed their way through. (laughs) But it gets them like 10 feet in. But the whole sequence, Elsa is like, has no idea what's happening she's wearing indiana's hat and jacket it's very oversized she keeps slipping on the on the wet floor and she keeps smiling very awkwardly (laughs) and it's very funny and see (laughs) 
my lovely assistant, and he pulls her forward, and she just she bites it right on the. <laughs> God, great. I think that is one of my favorite parts of this movie. Just that whole quick sequence. We actually watched it twice because I just. This laugh. is a castle, and we have many, many tapestries. But if you are a Scottish lord, then I am Mickey Mouse. That butler, first off, so mad, <laughs> just <laughs> starts at a ten. Absolutely. Just first off, furious seemingly that that there might be an insinuation that they don't have any tapestries. Right. Despite the fact that when he's punched, he lands on a tapestry. <laughs> You're looking right at one, bud. It is sort of zany. I've, one of the things I appreciate about all the Indiana Jones movies in general is that they all sort of tap into a like an adventure type trope that you assume has happened in all these other Indiana Jones movies. But in essence, like this is the first time that he's actually tried to impersonate a character of his own design. Like sometimes he'll put on a coat to sort of blend yeah, in. Yeah, they do that like, and put on a Nazi uniform. Yeah. But this is the first time where he's like, I'm going full Bugs Bunny yeah. and I'm going to pretend I'm someone else. I feel like there's at least one sequence in each Indiana Jones movie. Where I'm like, have they not done this in another movie? Or is this just like an adventure movie trope that is like yeah. instilled into my brain, like the minecart chase? I'm like, right. is the first minecart chase? It seems <laughs> Feels weird. Like we've done this. Yeah. Yeah, it's so great. And I do love that it's absolutely, I mean, if it was a lesser movie, I would be annoyed that it is absolutely pointless. It's one of those things like if you're enjoying the movie, it's fun. If you're not enjoying the movie, it would annoy you. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I'm enjoying the movie, so it is fun to watch Harrison Ford, who I think is a very good actor, but he's not hes not a Meryl Streep type. He's not right. disappearing into a role. He's a Cary Grant type, where it's like, you want this type of person? Hire this guy, because he's going to do the pointing. He's going to do the angry face. I didn't kill my wife. Like, that's thats what you're getting. It's seeing him try and do a Scottish it's so terrible. I also appreciate the almost meta comment, Nazis, colon, I hate, I hate these guys. guys. Like, thank you for clarifying your point. Yeah. <laughs> that scene with Elsa, that that first, like, I watched it this time knowing that Elsa probably knows this butler. She probably knows mm. all these people. She's playing and along. So she's yeah. almost like playing along while also sort of hinting at the butler that she is embarrassed that right. she is playing along. And I feel like that's part of the funniness of that scene is that right. she is trying to play it both ways. We're like telling the butler, like, just go along with it. Yeah. And trying to be, you know, playing this faux assistant to this faux Scottish lord. And also, I mean, that, that continues when they're going down the hallways of this German castle. And he goes, he's in here, like pointing to a door. And she goes, how do you know? Almost like, not, oh, he is? But she's yeah. just like, just out of curiosity, how do you know for sure that he's in there? And he's like, because it's bugged or because it's wired. It's a fun thing to re-examine. His whole early interactions with Elsa up to the point where he discovers that she's a Nazi is our, if you watch it again, knowing that like, of course you do like upon a multi rewatch like this is, <laughs> it does like add layers to her character that aren't there if you watch it the first time because she's she's playing him this whole time and he's acting like come with me toots you know like right and like when he decides to swing out and swing back into the to the room that his dad's being held captive in she's like what are you doing and he's like this is what it's like this is child's play or something like that right. and meanwhile she's like this fucking guy like meanwhile when the german officers burst into like sean connery's room 
It's because, I mean, in retrospect, it's because she told them, like, hey, these fuckers are in the room together. To right. Go get them. Yeah. By the way, the younger one has the fucking Grail Diary on it. Right. I love it so much. What I'm saying I love it so much is I'm anticipating this next part, which is when we finally get Sean Connery. And the from the very beginning, like, just sets it up. We've already, like, seen, you know, the silhouette of... Henry Jones, and we've like heard about him when Indiana's talking to his someone else about him. But this is the first time we get, and the first thing he does is bash his son <laughs> over the head with a, a vase. And then also, <laughs> when he recognizes him, he goes, Junior. And Indiana goes, Yes, sir. Because <laughs> he's like basically concussed by this vase. Oh, and he immediately reverts. And this whole, the whole adventure with his dad is like him regressing basically to absolutely and what a brilliant idea for this character you know it's part it's just another way of comedically undercutting him though which we've talked about enjoying very much is because like we both see where like his all his pathos comes from and also like he's like still kind of acting like a kid like he's the one that's going to rescue his dad and he does he like you know does very like brave adventurous things and and Gets him out of this pickle while also being browbeaten pickle. by his father the whole <laughs> Held time. Held hostage by Nazis. A pickle. It's a pick. It's a bit of a pickle. <laughs> okay, we've got ourselves into one of our classic shenanigans. I said Let's see a, how they get out of this one. As our, our own country <laughs> slowly declines into fascism, I'm like, this is a bit of a pickle for those of our us. Our country is slowly devolving into a real big pickle. <laughs> no, you're absolutely, I mean... That is the the big theme of this movie because, I mean, once Elsa is like a really great three-card Monty in that she's immediately like removed from the thing. I mean, yeah. the movie sort of like dangles her along as like she's a little bit more complicated than maybe just being a Nazi stooge. Yeah. She cries when they're burning books. She's so, a doctor, I mean, I, I guess. guess she can't be all bad. I mean, evil people like to read too. <laughs> The regression is really great, and Harrison Ford plays it really great. I mean, the yes, sir, I feel like not only like plays up that regression, but also connotes an idea of what their relationship was like, which right. is, I remember being at friends' houses who's, who had fathers that insisted on them calling them sir, Yeah, and I found that very odd. My relationship with my father is not a yes, sir, no, sir type deal, and I'm always discomforted by people whose relationships with their fathers are yes sir no sir when it's always weird when when it's played off of the fact that they're like you're like hello mr johnson and they're like call me terry and you're like you're making no this is complicated this dynamic i don't want to be any part of it (laughs) you're gonna be mr johnson until the day either i or you die (laughs) but there's even like a scene like later on when they're they're running from the nazis when all these nazi planes are flying around and shooting at them like, uh, Indiana Jones is exasperated by the fact that, you know, Sean Connery's taking too long to get out of a car. And he's like, Dad, yeah, he's coming back. He says yeah. it like just a bratty teen. Because he also goes, what? Like, <laughs> so good. <laughs> and then there's a sweet, I mean, there's a sweet scene on the Hindenburg. I assume the Hindenburg, it might just be any Nazi blimp, any old Nazi blimp, where they have like a back and forth and 
I mean, they're both very charming, and you can very much see how they both their personalities just both were at fault. Although I would yeah. give the I'd give the points to Indiana Jones, the child. Like yeah. he, you know, he could have used a father figure, but you know, the, when Sean Connery says, "You left." just when you were becoming interesting. I was like, that sounds like me as a father, honestly, because yeah. I don't want anything to do with children. I definitely don't want anything to do with teenagers. But when they became adults, I, you know, want to talk to them and like, you know, get to know them. But <laughs> it's just a real uh, fucked the idea up thing of a to child say. leaving, like abandoning his father is described as you left just when you were becoming interesting. So yeah, it's on you, buddy. This is the first time I adore that scene, and I think of it often, and this is the first time the I The Hindenburg like, or the actual rescue scene? <laughs> the, I thought you were talking about the actual Hindenburg disaster. I was like, no, I wasn't thinking of that, saying, I adore this scene. <laughs> oh, the humanity, <laughs> you said. That they're displaying in this conversation. <laughs> no, this the, the father-son conversation. This is the first time watching it back that I was actually thinking of River Phoenix as young Indiana Jones and that oh, uh -huh. he probably, we don't really know, but that he probably did leave not long after we saw him when he was like, not quite, you know, now we think of now when you're like 18 and you finish school and they, uh, and you, you know, kind of, there's like a set time for a lot of people when you leave and go do the next thing. And he probably, I mean, he obviously went and did got into academics and stuff. But like you could see him leaving when he was like 15 or 16 being like, fuck this. Yeah. Especially with like, as a, like a cocksure young, you know, adventure loving teen, I guess. Adventure I was loving teen. <laughs> I wasn't one of those. So I don't know what they do. No, I hate adventure. I'm very much Bilbo Baggins in the first chapter of the book. <laughs> Get out of here, old man. <laughs> just smoking a pipe in the shire. Can we just talk about Sean Connery for a minute? Yeah, just I like wanted to get overall. into that rescue scene and just Sean Connery overall. Yeah. Wife Beater, we covered it in the intro. Yeah, and we, we talked about that it before. Caveat. Acknowledged and shamed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you were talking about the which the escape from the blimp or which, which part? The rescue actually from the castle of Brunwald, that first scene where we meet Sean Connery. We learn he is scared of rats. And we learn that he is very concerned about Ming vases over his son's cranial health. It's fake. You can see from the cross sections. <laughs> <laughs> I also like another sort of vaudevillian scene is when these Nazis come in and they say, Dr. Jones, and they both say yes in wow, unison. Yes. <laughs> Charming. And they're like, hand over the diary or hand over the book. And they're like, what book? Again, playing it cool. And then Sean Connery sort of realizes that they're talking about the Grail Diary. He's like, do you really think my son would be that stupid to bring my diary all the way back here? And realizes, again, Harrison Ford regressing like, I mean, this is the first time Har uh, Indiana Jones fails constantly. But this is the first time like he looks legitimately like ashamed. He's like, um, and he goes, you didn't, did you? You did. <laughs> I should have mailed it to the Marx Brothers. <laughs> But then also, I think, again, like, you know, Indiana Jones, they, they bicker back and forth who's on first. And then they shoot, a, Indiana Jones steals a machine gun from a Nazi and shoots them. And as a kid, I was very disturbed. There's a pink something that flies oh. off of one of them. And I'm like, that must be an accident. But it looks like he's getting, Brain. his brains are coming out. Sean Connery goes, look what you did. Yeah. I can't believe what you did. <laughs> Offended by... The murder, which, I mean... Yeah. 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 It's disturbing to see someone killed. 
He says that something before. What's he later? He says they're shooting at us. <laughs> like I know, Dad. And he's like, it's a new experience for me. <laughs> it happens to me all the time. New experience for me. He is also like, so we learned that they have both slept with Elsa. That that's also how Elsa got the original <laughs> Doctor Jones in this. And when he realizes that, he's like, yeah, she talks in her sleep. And then he, he just kind of looks at her and he gives this. Like, Sean Connery's cheeky little grin. Like, <laughs> it's not like slimy or anything. It's just a funny like little beat he does. I mean, this is the funniest that Sean Connery has ever been in that I've ever seen. Like he's so at least funny. on purpose. <laughs> yes, I mean, right. Finding yeah. Forrester is funny, but not. It doesn't seem like it's on purpose. You're the man now, dog. <laughs> I never know what to do because I I've heard this again might be apocryphal, but I've heard that that is like a, a improvised line that got worked into the the plot. You're the man now, dog. That was going to be in this movie, but they were like, that makes no sense. Why would Let's you save say it that? for a different movie? There's just like an assistant writing down random things that Sean Connery says <laughs> and hoping that they will eventually be shoehorned into some script. The sleeping with Elsa thing. Because it seems to like go against his like very staid, like nerdy, buttoned up vibe that Sean Connery's Henry Jones Sr. is giving. He's very handsome, though. He is very handsome. I feel like I think more this time watching it, his character gets by on a lot of charm more than cohesion in the end, because they're even in like the motorcycle scene where they are escaping from this castle. Sean Connery is in the scene, depending on what's happening. He is both excited by his, uh, his son's ingenuity in d- dispatching Nazis and also sort of put out and rather just wind up his watch rather than like engage in complimenting his son. It's a weird back and forth for this character. And so the sleeping with Elsa thing, feels like Sean Connery being like, well, he's not going to be a total nerd, right? He still fucks, right? <laughs> see, I, I didn't see that in the like in the motorcycle chase because what I saw is like him reacting to like immediate things happening, motorcycles flipping over, and then him actually reacting to what his son has done. Part of it is probably genuine like horror at all these people that are dying <laughs> whether they're nazis or not it's still awful to see that and then also blew up also not wanting to sort of condone the violence even though it's like justified in this case he's just like and he's obviously very withholding so it's like a i that's how i saw it is like his like you might whoa kind of stuff was just because that he was physically being thrown around you might be right he does smirk like when indiana jones takes that surprisingly flimsy flagpole and jousts one of the henchmen but then later on is put out but that's when indiana jones is looking at him like for approval right and he doesn't give it so you might be right that like his initial reaction is like oh good we're gonna not gonna be killed by nazis (laughs) but now that the danger is passed i'm not gonna give you the validation you so desperately seek (laughs) yeah junior junior before we get too far because i'm trying to i this is the first time that i actually tried to figure out what was the nazis plan here here's what i've pieced together and see if this makes sense to you. They hired Henry Jones Sr. Mm-hmm. He fucked Elsa. <laughs> she talked in her sleep, she revealing herself him. to be a national socialist. And then they kidnapped him because now he knew they were Nazis and was, he was no longer compliant. 
Is that why would they kidnap him when they already hired him to do the work? And he was doing the work. Seemingly, he was going to libraries and, you know, trying to find Knight's tombs. Yeah, he discovered that. And then, I mean, you kind of have to fill in the blanks here. But I think that he immediately mailed his diary away. So they were like, okay, where's the diary? And he had already gotten rid of it. And so at that point, they just decided to hold him hostage. Like, there's, there's some, like... Step as a, two, like, as step a bait three to get Indiana in Jones to come. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think as so. As like a carrot on a stick for Indiana Jones, like get him roped in. Yeah. Well, right. at first, they, they probably didn't know that right away. They just knew, like, he had the diary, got rid of it. They probably assumed he had it. And then when they realized he didn't, they're like, okay, well, we're just going to hold you hostage until we can figure this out. And then when they realized. We're not going to kill you. We're just going to yeah. hold you hostage. I have another question. This has bugged me. Yes. Ever since this movie came out. Why would Steven Spielberg or the casting agent, whatever, hire someone to play the Nazi tertiary villain, Colonel Vogel, who is like, he looks exactly like D-Day hero Dwight D. Eisenhower to me. He looks exactly. <laughs> it, Until he realizes he's blonde. confusing. Well, I think Dwight D. Eisenhower even had like light hair. Like if yeah. you look at those old pictures of... Normandy, like it's confusing. Don't hire people who look like people who killed Nazis to play it's Nazis. It's confusing in this movie <laughs> on the Nazi tank. You keep going. What is Dwight D. Up? Oh, right? Who is that? Is that Dwight D. Eisenhower? Is that? is that famously in many movies? Dwight D. Eisenhower. Do you think this was after he got sick and Nixon had to assume the presidency for a few weeks, and then <laughs> maybe he filmed the movie in the meantime? Oh, he was long <laughs> dead by then. Hmm. Oh. Still's pretty confusing to old little Damon. <laughs> Our situation has not improved. <laughs> okay, so also as we're leaving Castle Brunvald, this is one of my, I wrote it down in toto because this may be one of my favorite transitions in a movie. The Nazis, we are now have revealed that Elsa is a double crosser, that Walter Donovan is a double crosser. Multiply them together, that's a quadruple cross. And they realize that a map has been torn out of the diary. And Walter Donovan says, we must have these pages back. And Elsa says, you're wasting your breath. He's not going to tell us. But he doesn't have to because he's given them to Marcus Brody. And they're like, oh, we just need to get him. And Indiana Jones says, he's got a two-day head start, which is more than he needs. He has friends in every town and village from here to the Sudan. He speaks a dozen languages, knows every local custom. He'll blend in, disappear. You'll never see him again with any luck. He has the grail already. And then we cut to Marcus Brody in a Skenderin, screaming in a marketplace, does anyone here speak English or even ancient Greek? <laughs> Just completely lost. Looking completely like... Completely lost. The most... The sorest thumb. Like, <laughs> he's just <laughs> sticking out so much. I love that transition. And that's like a good example of... It's not exactly subtle, but it's a good way of using the direction itself for comedy. Like they use, that is a funny edit, you know, which you don't the really zoom, think about. I mean, it's before. a slow pan into Harrison Ford's face. Yeah. And so it feels very, you know, legitimate. Again, we haven't seen Marcus Brody. I mean, he's sort of been a third wheel, but he hasn't been, you know. Yeah, he's not He's as, not like underdog or something. He's not right. like slipping on banana peels. He's, why did I call him banana peels? <laughs> the Italian, we're in Venice, of course. Ah, uh, Venice. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So it's a great transition to, it's not completely out of character. It's like hinted at, but he's not been a complete moron <laughs> dupe. It's a great transition. And then later, when they're rushing to get ahead of, head of the Nazis, Henry Jones Sr. says, I thought you said, you know, he had a head start. He'd, you know, he had more than he needs. He's like, oh, you know, Marcus, he got lost once in his own museum. Yeah. <laughs> we also get some good comedy from Sala. Who like finds him and then the return when of Sala con- when they're confronted the original by subtitle Nazis. to this Indiana Jones in the return of Sala Indiana Jones and Sala <laughs> in <laughs> they're a twosome now they get a good kind of physical and comedy bit with when Sala is kind of looking for his papers and he just goes ah yeah they're right here uh run and then he just <laughs> keeps saying it run and then he Marcus is not getting hit at all. <laughs> Yeah, he's completely clueless. I also want to point out some physical comedy in that. These two men who definitely are Nazis just from the look of them. Yes. They shopped it. Nazis are us. <laughs> they got the uniforms for the henchmen at the henchman store. <laughs> they come right up to Marcus Brody and they start talking to him about the museum in Eskenderun. But the Nazi does a quick little bow and Denholm Elliott, who plays Marcus, does a quick like... He backs away. He pivots at the hip to back away. So it forms this like almost like magnet of like moving back and forth like windshield wipers. Just really quick. It's a really quick physical comedy. It makes me giggle every time. Yeah. I like it when things work like that. It's very funny. And then there's so much. This is there's so much like rapid fire no pun intended, comedy in this bit, because we also get, so the Jones boys are tied back to back in chairs. And then he's like, dad, can you get the lighter out of my pocket? And then he goes to light the rope on fire to try to get them on. And of course he burns himself and then throws it. And then the rug catches on fire. And (laughs) Dr. Henry Jones calmly says, the floor's on fire. See, and the chair. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. And then another favorite bit from that this is probably the thing that makes me laugh the most consistently watching this movie is and it's such a stupid little thing because again they're tied back to back they're still tied up and and the ropes are like perfectly like evenly they don't cross each other they are perfectly even with each other they run parallel in like a very comically like yes symmetrical tie-up job it's very like cartoonish in a very like three stooges marx brothers kind of thing too he's he goes he's trying to get his attention and goes dad and then he looks around the other way and then they just do like a back and forth dad uh, what, dad what dad, dad, what, dad, what? Dad. <laughs> and of course like the urgency is like the whole room's on fire and just the like <laughs> juxtaposition of those two two things and then they end up finding like a secret passageway through the fireplace to just like basically a Nazi control room. Oh my God. The whole scene, it makes me laugh every time. It's very good. I'll add to that. I will go ahead. If we're just recounting parts we liked and laughed at is as they're leaving that castle, Indiana Jones sees some boats like tied up to a dock. He jumps onto a boat, starts the the motor running and his father throws his bag to Indy and Indy throws it back and says, no, we're not taking a boat. Uh, and he gets off the boat and walks off off scene or off camera. And uh, <laughs> Sean Connery's like, we're not getting what in the boat. The boat? What about the boat? boat? They're very funny people. These two men are very funny people together. And the script is also funny, which makes them funny. While we're still just lauding compliments, lauding Sean Connery with compliments. So they're they end up in the blimp and then they have to, the Nazis figure out what's going on and turn the, the blimp around and they take the airplane that's flying the blimp away. No, no, no. It's just an escape plane. But it doesn't it like 
launch them. Isn't that how it works? And then, but then the blimp controls can I think take then over. There's I, don't a con- I don't I don't know, I don't about know how, those, how zeppelins works. work, but there's a control like <laughs> little pod under the yeah. the th- what have you. I thought I thought it was just an escape plane. Is this how they launch up into the air? There's a little biplane underneath and rolls along and then zooms up. I've never seen a Hindenburg a blimp take off. It does not matter for the purpose of, <laughs> of this. I don't really know. Is this why the Hindenburg went down? <laughs> They're like, our plane? You got to give that back. We need that for some reason. The fighter planes come after them and Henry has to <laughs> take the gunner position. And of course, he shoots their tail on accident. How does that and not then, happen more often? I, when I see this movie no. every time, I'm like, I would totally do that. Yeah. This is also the movie where I learned the 12 o'clock, 11 o'clock, because he explains it very quickly and urgently when his dad <laughs> checks his watch. And... Uh, you know, being a all of seven years old when this came out, I was like, oh, okay. But he accidentally shoots the tail and then it, <laughs> Indiana goes, are we hit? And he goes, son, I'm sorry. They got us. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. All right. Well, let's just keep going. I just want to say one of my favorite lines in this movie, there's actually two for from Sean Connery, Stepping mostly orange. because I get to say them in his voice later, you know, when they're being bombarded. Now they're on the ground. They've stolen a car. The car's been bombed. That car belonged to my brother-in-law. Different car. First car. Okay. (laughs) They're still being hunted by a bunch of planes, right? When Indy says, he's coming back. Yeah. Sean Connery sees a flock of birds. He gets his little umbrella that he's been carrying this entire time. He has an umbrella in his bag and he scares the birds away. It crashes the forces of the plane to crash. And he says, I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. Let my armies be the rocks and the trees, the birds in the sky. There's so many S's in that that it's fun to say in <laughs> Sean Connery's voice. Is your other favorite quote the goose stepping morons? It tells me that goose-stepping morons like yourselves. I like the aside, like yourselves, just in case you weren't (laughs) sure who the goose-stepping morons were. It's you, like yourselves, should try reading books instead of banning them. I do like that. It took me a while. I think it was, I was watching this with my mom once, like on a Saturday afternoon. Again, I had no friends in high school. So I was watching movies with my mom on a Saturday afternoon. And uh, we saw the scene where they're trying to get the provincial leader of Hatay to allow them to, you know, search for the grail in his, in Turkey. And they bring this chest full of gold and, and jewels and wares. And Donovan says they were donated by some of the finest families in Germany. And then later on, the King of Hatay goes on and talks about the Rolls Royce or whatever. But my mom, when they say that, when they were donated by the finest families in all of Germany, she goes, yeah, right. And I realized like, oh, they've looted they, are, it from, they were stolen, stolen yeah. from Jewish families who were sent to the camps. That makes that not as fun. Not as fun. But it does make but you realize... there's a little historical little Easter egg, I guess, in there. <laughs> Fun fact, Nazis uh, committed atrocities. Mm, now that's interesting. Put that in the movie. <laughs> okay, are you still going on? I'm done. I feel like I've done, I've lauded all my... I've lost him. I've done all my Sean Connery now. We're named the dog Indiana. No, that's Do pretty good wanna, too, yeah. Henry Jones Jr. You're the pointing at himself for Henry dog? Jones and then pointing at Jr. Jones Jr. It's very good. Sala, for being in this for like very little time, has some good lines because he, when the that the second car explodes, he goes, "That car belonged to my brother-in-law." 
And he says, Salah, that's five camels. I said, no camels. Can't you count? And he's like, compensation for my brother-in-law's car. The first line, too, is really funny when you think about it. You're like, you picked five. I said, zero. (laughs) (laughs) Just to kind of dial it back a little bit. I feel like we've been. Please. Heaping a little bit too much praise on this. Yeah. Let's run this through the ringer. This movie has. Give him hell. One of the cringiest sequences of all times and it's very quickly luckily which is when indiana re-encounters elsa at the sort of nazi rally outside of whatever wherever they are at this point when they go back to berlin to get the Mm -hmm. the book more in the diary than just the map he threatens her and he's like holding her neck (sighs) he says all i have to do is squeeze all i have to do is scream and i i hate it it's a very it's a bad it's a very cringy scene it's very like soap opera, like the worst kind of Days of Our Lives sequence. And that's it. <laughs> it's awkward. It feels, it's shoehorned in. There's a weird, I mean, it does, I feel like the movie does set up these sort of this map as as a mini MacGuffin, but the diary is the main MacGuffin and no one really appreciates everything else that's in the diary outside of the map. And we do get to have Hitler sign the diary in a very Hitler awkward cameo awkward scene that I still kind of like because it's weird. You know, he's stolen a Nazi officer's uniform and he gets like roped into all these children who are trying to get Hitler's autograph. And then he is like the only adult standing there. And then uh, of course the dramatic irony of Hitler has this thing that he may or may not be aware. All his officers are trying to get their hands on and he signs it and hands it back to Indiana Jones. Yeah. It's an awkward scene. Apparently there's someone playing Lenny Riefenstahl in that scene, filming the entire proceedings. They, when I was like, I was going through the IMDb and there was a woman in the cast listed as Lenny Riefenstahl. I was like, what? There's a woman filming that scene and it would be Lenny Riefenstahl, the famous propagandist for the Nazis. More historical Easter eggs for everyone. That's something for the people who watch the History Channel but only in the 90s, not when it got all alieny. <laughs> Luckily, that's followed by a much better scene, which is the the whole Zeppelin sequence. And then no ticket, which I really do like. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the third act, where I think I feel like we're there. Oh, well, we got the, the whole tank sequence. I don't think there's much to say other than Dwight D. Eisenhower. Just, he does his own hunt stunts, which I thought was pretty cool. You know, it's nice for a four-star <laughs> general to get out there. Five-star general? I can't remember what Dwight D. Eisenhower... Give him an extra star. We're going to give him six. (laughs) But I kind of want to, I want to zip past the tank thing because I feel like we've said enough overall. It's well done. I mean, you don't need us to tell you how a action sequence, even though you've been listening, theoretically, up until this point, we're not going to explain it for you. There's the kind of Indiana Jones's death fake out and we get, it's actually, at first you're kind of like, this is kind of silly. Of course, Indiana Jones isn't dead, but... We get some actual real emotion from his father for the first time, like not the first time, but like it kind of reinforces the sort of softer, slightly softer uh, Henry Jones that we got on the blimp. And we get come see the softer side because <laughs> he thought he died and he was he was excited to see him and gives him a real hug. And Indiana Jones is like almost dead. He's been, I don't know, stabbed and shot and whipped and his head like on the track of a tank. And uh, his dad gives him a hug and he like 
like leans into it for a moment and it's a really sweet he moment. melts into the hug and it's it's yeah. very charming of course i mean immediately after the hug sean connery goes back to cool yeah. demeanor withholding what do you, do? What are you what's resting for we're shown into the end but it is it is a very sweet moment and i think they both play it very well and then we get to petra so this is a really memorable i feel like this is the part of the movie. Now, they're always memorable stuff, but like speaking as a trilogy as a whole, the Indiana Jones, I feel like the final act is kind of where it starts to always be like, it gets a little like off the rails, sometimes literally in Temple of Dune. But like <laughs> this one is like I such a strong, like I remember like this whole sequence, the whole going through the trials and, you know, the volunteer who I'm sure didn't actually volunteer yeah. who gets his head chopped the off. The Nazis have a very specific definition of volunteer. Yeah. And then, of course, like the stakes of Henry having been shot and, and then whispering like, like, I always remember that. And then any of the like, Jay, when he thinks Jehovah's Witness with Jay. <laughs> but of course, we all know that in the Latin alphabet, Jehovah starts with an I. So the Jays are just as a goof, apparently. Just the Crusaders or God himself just having a laugh. There's also like a semicolon just to be like, you're never going to use this properly. <laughs> Maybe you'd put an emoticon at the end. Like Jehovah, wink. <laughs> I remember being like really creeped out by the blades as a kid. First off, like, is God sharpening them? Who set up the temple? Is it the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword, presumably? Yeah. Or is it God himself? Is he coming down, like, every two weeks to make sure the blades are sharpened? <laughs> I do like that brief shot when he steps through Jay and you see the pit below him. And you can see, like, cutouts of the stones from underneath. Yeah. It's a really weird, like, obviously a matte painting or something, but it's always is very striking to me. It's not often you get to see the back end, the behind the scenes look of all these temples and, you know, booby traps that have been standing and functioning for 700 years. A little, little behind the curtain there. That's fun. I did appreciate that it was an open book exam for the three, the three yeah, booby traps that he was nice. able to, that the professor said he could bring his textbook. That's nice. He's not a normal professor. He's a cool professor. He's a cool professor. He knows you've got a lot of things. Finals can be really stressful. Hey, call me Greg. <laughs> so We also get, when it gets there, he, we, we get our gruesome death because... We do. We had rats early on. That was our, yeah, their, our the creature. numerous animal. And then we get our gruesome death finally at the end of this. Yeah. What's uh, Pycelle's name? What's his character's name again? Walter Donovan. Yeah. Donovan, of course. He chose poorly. Mm -hmm. So he melts, ages very quickly. It's kind of similar to the melting face of the in Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's well, more, more like he decomposes yeah. in real time rather than melts away. He But there's lots of screaming and it's like it's and he like won't let go of Elsa. Right. His grip yeah. and his vocal cords still going great. Still good. Despite rotting away in front of us. I remember I was very terrified of this scene until my brother said, you know, it's weird that his head gets bigger as it's decomposing. And then I watched it and I was like, yeah, it is weird. And then I was never scared of it again. Like that was like that broke the spell. I'm like, yeah, because they're just putting stuff on it. They're just adding things as it rots away. And they forgot to zoom out. I feel really bad for Gerard or whatever this French knight's name is. Oh, First yeah. off, I want to hand it to him. It's been 700 years. 
he's apparently kept up with his languages. He speaks perfect modern English yeah. once they arrive. So good on you. It's good to study. Keep up with the kids. What are the kids saying these days? Probably, you know, he follows a bunch of people on TikTok. He doesn't post. He just follows people on TikTok and just wants to see what the trends are. I would like to try this McDonald's. (laughs) I feel bad for him. I mean, first off, he's the only guy working at the Grail showroom that day. And three people come in in an afternoon after 700 years of no one. What a rush. Oh, it's just like, look, uh, you guys keep looking around. I just want to talk to him real quick. S- find some things you like, and I'd love to come over to talk to you about purchase options. Sharon was supposed to call come in. She called in sick this morning. And by this morning, I mean 300 years ago. <laughs> Cassie's on break. I mean, legally, I have to give her 30 minutes, but I know it's been 45, and she does this every fucking day. So I, I feel she, bad for him in Cassie that regard. Cassie, quiet quit on me. It's really frustrating. <laughs> The idea is, as he lays it out to us, this is the fine print, is that, yes, the grail gives you immortal life, but you have to stay in the temple. You can't leave. And you also assume his role of sitting there guarding Guarding. the grail. I'm a little confused because the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword is fighting to keep everyone away from the grail. But he's like waiting for someone. he appreciates that? (laughs) Because he's like, hey, I need someone to take my shift. So I can fucking die. I've been holding this pee for 500 of these 700 years. (laughs) I mean, I know that I can probably go to the back and pee, but you know that's going to be the time that that a knight or a a quester comes in here. And and, also, I've just got this one room. I don't really want to live in my pee. (laughs) (laughs) Raises a lot of questions. But also at the end, as the temple is being destroyed, he like... Puts a salutes Indiana Jones. Yeah, a little wave. And then Indiana and his dad run out the front door. They're like, and fuck this guy. Let's get out. Spielberg it. chooses to cut back to the night as he slowly lowers his hand and looks quite forlorn. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Because now the grail is gone. I don't know if he gets it magically back and is guarding it again, but either way, the, the temple is now destroyed, so there's no way to get in there. I feel like God will, you know, fix it up again. That was my, Aww. that's my understanding. Is like He's been, he comes in on Sundays to oil the blades. Yeah. So. He's like, I don't have to do this, and then I don't need the money. I yeah. just like doing it, is the thing. I like the idea of people getting their heads chopped off <laughs> just to look for a cup that my brother's blood was in. And or that he served wine out of? Your brother? His brother? Did I say brother? Yeah, God's brother, Jesus. The Lord works in mysterious ways. The part he's of the not Trinity only I his brother likes. and his son, but he's also himself? Yeah. Christianity, come on. This all checks out. Don't read into <laughs> it too much. Or do. I have another question for you. Did Elsa intend to kill Donovan? No, I don't think so. That's not the impression I got. I think she was That was like, always my impression until this viewing. And mm. it cuts to her a few times where I'm like, hey, girl, what you doing? What what, you, doing? you got a plan here? Because she sort of like has a demure like where she looks down at the ground. And mm. as he's saying, this truly is the cup of the king of kings or whatever he says. And she's like, <laughs> she giggles behind her hand. <laughs> and then. Twirls, she gets, she grows a mustache, then twirls it. Then she pulls out a carrot from the back pocket and she says, ain't I a stinker? And it's like, Elsa, something's up. Something's something's up here. Something's going on here. 
So here's how I read that. I read that as her being sort of fearful as like a, even though she's clearly like in cahoots with them, she's not a full Nazi. We've kind of seen these hints she's of a how demi-Nazi, she, is she actually, yeah, she actually does have some affection for Indiana and she is sad about books. That's about all we get of like her, like what her real feelings are. And what I read this as is like, I've enabled this to happen. And now this, this evil guy has the power of eternal life. So you're saying she's sort of like the Marsha Blackburn to Walter Donovan's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene's full Nazi, but Marsha Blackburn's just in it for the money. You know what I mean? And like when no one's looking, she's probably like, I don't know if I should have done that. Actually, I hope no one finds out I did that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I didn't read that as she's trying to pull a fast one because I don't think she knows. Right. I guess you might be right. That's how I've always interpreted. But this time I felt like, I feel like she might be trying to kill Donovan. But if she is, I don't feel like the, the movie has given her a lot of moments of like, hmm, I wonder if these Nazis are really all that, all they're cracked up to be, but never really... I mean, I feel like because it's just her and Donovan at the end, if that were the case, if she is intentionally trying to kill him, that would have been a lot easier ways better. to do it. She could have pushed him off of the walk of the leaf. Yeah, of just faith. push him into one of those blades just <laughs> jutting out of the floor. Make him stand on the J. Just yeah. see ya. <laughs> or so many other letters, too. <laughs> yeah. The semicolon, the intero bang, the word of Bahova. there is this scene i mean i i like this a little bit but there's always something that annoys me he goes that's the cup of a carpenter and he grabs this sort of very demure wooden petrified wood cup don't put your lips on it it's just been sitting out but it's still gold lined like the actual bowl of the chalice is is (laughs) lined with gold and i'm like yeah i mean still a well-to-do carpenter though right yeah like he still had a bunch of molten gold on hand (laughs) yeah but i mean that's just we all know that that's in the bible that the blood of jesus turns things to gold that's true and also i mean you have to remember that jesus is the ultimate trust fund kid so yeah he's he's making wooden chalices but you know he's dipping into his trust fund to to line them with gold I could be thinking of the alien from Aliens and their blood is acid. <laughs> I think that's what I'm thinking of. My fault. My fault. Okay, that's the movie. We get, and then the, our heroes ride out, literally ride off into the sunset. Well, we, which, we get our Lord of the Rings moment where, you know, they drop the chalice into the crevasse and they fight over it, Schmeagol style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indiana. 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 He shows him respect for his choices. He didn't dead name He him called him once. by his dumb name. Yeah. He didn't dead name him. <laughs> Aren't you sad that you taught me these things? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't dead name him. Although later he calls him Junior once again, which is definitely like, oh, sorry, I forgot. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, for- forgot. I can't keep up with these pronouns. The dog. <laughs> <laughs> What is your verdict? This is a very fun movie. It's very funny. We can't stop, you know, quoting parts that we like. It's got great action sequences. It's got great repartee. You know, in watching it this time, I I felt like, is this movie an overcorrection to 
You could see it as an overcorrection to Temple of Doom, which was really dark. You might argue too dark. I would argue too racist. But it brings back Sala from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It brings back a more globetrotting adventure rather than in Raider, in Temple of Doom where you sort of land in India and you're in India for the rest of the movie. It's much more like following clues like Raiders of the Lost Ark was. So I could see how it has like almost, you could view it as a Rise of Skywalker, like overcorrection, like, oh, we got to go back to the thing that people liked. But people sometimes are right. And the things that they liked were the things that worked, and the things they didn't like were the racist anti-Hindu parts. So I think this is a lot of fun. I think it gets rid of a lot of the problematic parts of especially Temple of Doom, but also, I mean... It's not as problematic even as Raiders of the Lost Ark as we, we talked about some of the, our quibbles with that movie and how it treats Egyptians. It's fun to punch Nazis, and this movie's got that in spades. It's just a fun, light-hearted adventure. I think that the elements of the father-son, you know, you have the regression of Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford's character, Indiana Jones, is fun to watch. Harrison Ford plays it really well. Sean Connery playing against type is also fun to watch. Fun to watch him playing this guy who doesn't want any part in adventures, is offended by people being shot up by machine guns, and doesn't seem to be able to hold his own against his, you know, against his more adventurous son. It's great to see these two characters or actors play against each other. But yeah, it's a great movie. I mean, what can you say? It works really well because it's so good. <laughs> Your child's not an idiot. Once again, you bring no value to the table. <laughs> you have no good points. And I agree with you 100%. Your inner child is not an idiot. This movie's great. And I think you could find some quibbles like the the one sequence that I really don't like. Elsa could be a little bit more. We could dig into Elsa a little bit more and get more, especially as the like only female character in this entire movie. The way that we got away from racism is just by having almost zero people of color in the movie, which is like, well, that's one way to do it. <laughs> and I would argue that it worked better because you're just stepping away from the, the problem areas, but it is the, other than Sala, we don't really have, and the volunteer. Still played by a Welsh guy. Yes, exactly. We don't really have any, and the the, vol, the first volunteer who gets his head chopped off is presumably <laughs> and from Kazim, that Kazim, the, that's the true. Brotherhood of Kazim. the Cruciform Sword. Yeah. And so, and you know, he's not... Uh, they didn't do too bad with him, I guess. I don't know. I mean, he did try and kill everyone and sort of played up. Yeah. Wow. Maybe we should have unpacked that. Yeah. I think we might have skipped over that one because <laughs> we love the comedy so much. And this is so much funnier than either of the other two. Like they really leaned in the comedy and it worked so well. They just like the, the script is really smooth. And I feel like it all just works and it like clicks and works in a way that is really satisfying. Like the action works, the comedy works, the acting works, and it's really fun to watch. And just like the little bits of character development we get from Brody, which they just kind of, like you said, he was just kind of an exposition machine in the first movie. And this one, it's like, we didn't really know him that well. And when you get to know Marcus Brody, he's really funny and maybe <laughs> possibly not that smart, but like, it's really enjoyable. And Sean Connery is Especially when he comes later in the movie, it's so a breath of fresh air to a movie that was already really entertaining. And he's incredible in it. Just really, really funny. And that the scene on the Zeppelin when they have their father-son moment over the dinner table is a masterclass in character development. We kind of have hinted at it, but we really get this like kind of 
they really talk about it, about how he was never home or like whatever. And, and that it just like, it's pretty quick and it also provides exposition for the story. Cause that's where they talk about the three trials. It's a really great, well, tightly written scene. And that's a good example of this entire movie. And your inner child is not an idiot. It's great. I mean, I feel like the movie, I mean, if you described it on paper, especially in this sequelized like period that we are in, in Hollywood, I'd be like, uh, that doesn't, that just sounds like you've got this book that gives you all the answers and you have, you know, them overcorrecting from the last movie that people didn't like as much. Oh, uh, and you've got the father thing. I think it only works because we've already established Indiana Jones as a character. You couldn't have this in, even the second movie, I think it works best as like, you know, if you get an opportunity to make a third movie, it works because we already know Indiana Jones what else are we going to learn about him? Oh, we see this dynamic with his father, which reveals a whole other side to him while also, you know, keeping the adventure going. Yeah, you could very well see that being done poorly, you know, and executed not as well. Like, for example, Daddy's Home too. You know, it was like... (laughs) (laughs) With also a wife abuser, Mel Gibson. Yeah. We'll Uh, talk about that And also has Nazis in it. Also, Mel Gibson. <laughs> what do you think, everybody, about The Last Crusade? Oh, we didn't really talk about the Crusades themselves. Ooh, good. <laughs> good, we didn't talk about the Crusades. I mean, genocide is bad. Genocide Don't is bad. Don't be a crusader Just, I in mean, general. I mean, I'm glad it's the last one. <laughs> and we're done with After them. this one, we are done. I Let's finally just get it out of our system. Just Don't one more? That. No. No. Done. No. What do you think, everybody? Email us. Your inner child is an idiot at gmail.com. You can text us or leave a voicemail, 615-576-0525. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. We'd like to thank our current patrons, including Shit on the Cartouche. David Mort. Jonathan Day. Jeremy Powlin. Lindsay Alice Halleck. That was a good one. That's a good one. Larisha Maestro. Also a good one. Karen Curd. Heather Tuggle. Travis Vance. Damon's Australian accent. Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Now, was I doing Sean Connery or Captain Jean-Luc Picard? (laughs) You might have been doing a Jean-Luc Picard with a cold. (laughs) Lindsay Nell. The Hands of Fate. Dan McIntyre. Jackson has an unhealthy obsession with Damon. Obsession? You're turning into Bane. I feel like you're bordering on Bane. I was born in a darkness. <laughs> the elusive Van Gromkin. Josh Frigo. Dramatically placed hot dog. You're the man now, Beth Shermont. Oh, I should have done that on hot dog. His honor the mayor. The supreme ruler of this podcast. Just cuz. Scalfasaurus. It's too many S's. Sorry, Scalf. Ah, mm, ah, yes, Dr. Malcolm's uh, heaving bosom. Particle Man. T. Smith. The Jesty. Thank you all very, very much for supporting us, despite our Sean Connery impression. If you mm. want to support like that, well, we'll see what the Patreon list is next week. Patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. Before we leave, I want to remind our listeners that Sean Connery's last movie before he retired and promptly died was Guardians of the Highlands. Now, if that sounds serious, please note it is a animated movie about a skateboarding grandpa. So 
check it out. Guardian of the Highlands. A skateboarding grandpa. Also released under the title Sir Billy, and it is Nightmare Fuel. I just want you to, to know that. Yeah, I didn't want to. I want you to know that. If you want some Patreon-exclusive stuff, we're, we are going to watch the very unfortunate Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Indiana Jones, and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for our patrons only. So that's a reason Actually, that one's King, with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That's the odd man out. <laughs> Indiana Jones under the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Kingdom Crystal Skull. My mouth fell apart. The human body was not built to do Sean Connery's voice all the time. Even he had to take a break.